from bookworm to badass. Today on Serious Fun, I'm talking with Grace Lee. Grace works in tech as a user experience designer, and she currently resides in Boston, Massachusetts. She's an OG Recess community member and a close personal friend. In this conversation, we cover her personal success story, a tale of growing up as a non-active bookworm, and blossoming into a gym badass. This multi-year transition came with many trials, lots of patience, big wins, small wins, and learning to give her body what it needs. You'll learn about how recess impacted her perspective on fitness and life, and I'm so proud to have contributed to her transformation and to be her oppa. Please enjoy this serious, fun conversation with Grace Lee. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, this is really accurate. (laughs) Wow, the borders on this thing are cool. Sorry. Wow. Marveling at this right now. (laughs) Well, for those who might just be listening to what we're doing, uh, this is the Serious Fun Podcast. I'm your host, Brooks Meadows, and I am here with my friend, uh, Recess Community member and a user experience designer, and I imagine she's gonna tell you way more about it than I can. I'm here with Grace Lee, and she has a fantastic Zoom background, so I'd encourage you if you can go and find the video version of this, either on YouTube or on our Facebook page, that you watch this episode. It's gonna be worth it, I (laughs) promise. What's going on, Grace? Uh, nothing much, just playing around with Zoom. And actually, you were kind of close with the Tiger King thing because I don't have Tiger King background, but I do have a Tiger pillow. So, oh, are you gonna one day become a Tiger mom? Probably, yeah. I mean, Absolutely. That's amazing. <laughs> um, could you tell people? So, like, the purpose of this show is to bring on coaches and friends and recess community members to talk about a myriad of things. One, I want to talk about some things that might be serious, like your job, like your story, like emotions that are attached to story and physical stuff, um, but also fun, you know, and you clearly with this beautiful background are also a very (laughs) fun person. And so I'm excited to have you here. Let's just start with uh, your profession. What do you do currently? Okay, so currently, um, well, currently I'm technically currently, solo. currently, yeah, yeah, because <laughs> uh, coronavirus, as a lot of people are, so you know, I'm one of many. And uh, professionally, though, my title is user experience designer. Uh, I've heard many ways of explaining this thing, but it basically just help you experience uh, anything better. That's super general, but uh, it's specifically to technology. I can help you. I can help apps and websites and things be a much better experience than what they might be. Yeah. Um, And specifically uh, in my next leg of my journey, I want to focus in on mental health technology uh, and, you know, really bringing about that kind of evolution because we still don't actually see enough mental health technology out there or, you know, really good physical wellness technology. It still feels like very small and it hasn't made its big reach yet. And I really want that to be a big thing. Yeah, well, what has inspired you to move into that realm? Uh, My crazy love of psychology and (laughs) just my utter fascination with it. I think about it every single day. And 
I didn't actually think about it being a career until like last year, which is crazy. I just, I just always kind of had it in the background, you know, like I was just, Oh, this is just the way I think. Never thought like, Hey, you can actually contribute to that field, you know, that you're geeking out about. So, uh, it wasn't until like last November, um, I was like, okay, let's, let's actually try and actively look for new opportunities and things. So now with uh, coronavirus kind of shaking up everything, it's really given me this like really wide open door <laughs> to yeah. go explore. Literally like this background, everything is fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Life Hold is like, <laughs> yeah, just go through the door now. <laughs> like, yeah. You wanted this, you go get it now. <laughs> I... I could not even begin to describe how much that resonates with me. Um, <laughs> if not now, just at other times in my life. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's cool. Well, you have been a recess community member for how long? Let's see. So I moved to Memphis in October, 2017, but I don't think I actually came to the gym till you're going to have to help me remember. Was it like summer 2018? Cause I was I'm, still recovering from uh, an ankle injury huh. at the time. It was okay. like August 2018. August 2018. We had a uh, we've had David on the show before, and David was one of our early early like uh, OG community members. And right. um, you know, going on a two year stint, I'm going to put you in that category as well. Could you trace back as early as as you want to go back your history with health and exercise, where it fit into your life growing up, and how that's <laughs> evolved over time. <laughs> Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> it was basically it was awful. Uh, no, so when I was back when I was born, uh, no, when I was like five years old, I was you know very active. I ran around the entire house, love jungle gyms and things like that. But when it came to actual school exercising and things like sports and teams and running the mile like for a time or whatever, I hated all that stuff. It was I don't know. It was just it just didn't didn't resonate with me in any kind of way. I didn't have fun with it, except for like, you know, dodgeball and things like that. Um, then, then it became fun. So I never really had a good grasp of my own physicality and it definitely uh, went downwards from when I was like that five-year-old kid who was running around the playground to, you know, when you go into middle school and uh, high school, you just become even more sedentary if you're not in an active lifestyle already. Mm -hmm. uh, and it wasn't so like, college I'd say that I even tried going to a gym for the first time didn't know what the hell I was doing not at all um and I was just kind of trying to figure out how you work out so I'd you know download workouts from Pinterest or try out exercise plans and things here and there um but it didn't really hit home until I started lifting weights mm. and I was like oh I kind of like this thing I kind of like feeling strong especially because I'm a five foot one uh Asian woman and I'm just there's a lot of stereotype around being like small and meek and like you know oh save me um so this really hit home where I was like oh cool I get to do the exact opposite of that thing and I get to like crush some weights mm. still didn't know exactly how to do that but I was attempting to and just learning from uh weightlifters and things I saw on Instagram. And then that's around the time I moved to Memphis. And when I came to recess, I was actually, you know, you guys taught me a lot about the, like how to move my body and like look into things and kind of learn organically from it. So I feel like I have a much better grasp nowadays mm. from it. 
Tell me about that first time you walked into a gym. I imagine yeah. it was either with a friend or by yourself. I think it was by myself. I hated it. <laughs> I was like, so uh, there's two gyms that I consider. One is like, you know, the apartment gym. It's like safe, you know, because most of the time there's no one there. It's incredibly small. There's like a treadmill most of the time and maybe a few barbells or not barbells, uh, a few dumbbells. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're technically calling it a gym, then that would be my first experience. And I think okay. I just went there on my own. Again, I just walked in and was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Just, I'd like, you know, would poke a dumbbell kind of thing. Mm-hmm. First time I actually went to an actual gym, it was kind of the same thing, but I was even more intimidated mm-hmm. because there's just other people like all around knowing what they're doing. And I would have to like read the machines. I still read the machines, but you know, I'd go up to a machine and be like, what the hell does this thing do? And try and <laughs> replicate the motion and just do exactly what the little picture told me to do. Not having principles like, oh, you know, keep your core tight whenever you can. And, you know, just really good underlying uh, foundations. Didn't have any of that. Yeah. So uh, I love watching those awkward videos of when people when their uh, people are doing gym things and it doesn't make sense and they're like why are you doing that like you know there's like that pulling machine but some guy's like doing yes this yes i love watching those and he's like jump on the one hand it's like it's definitely uh worth a good like chuckle and on the other side of it i like as a coach i just feel terrible for them you know like that was me (laughs) nobody's going in and like just offering this person just a little bit of guidance uh (laughs) It's indicative. Look, I like, like you, I mean, I did, unlike you, I grew up playing sports. So I at least like grew up with like a systematic way of learning something physical. Um, but I didn't have a strength coach. I didn't have like an exercise coach. Um, I got cut from my baseball team four years in a row in high school. So I never like had like a, a conditioning coach. I played baseball in college, no less, because I continued practicing. I was good enough to play in college, but we didn't have a strength and conditioning coach. So I, our, our first, like my first weight room was like a converted racquetball court, you know? And, and, and so like, that was my apartment style gym because it was in a racquetball court. So nobody really used it all of that much. And um, I also, even coming from a sports background felt, and, and a being a comfortable walking into pretty much any room and having a conversation with people, I experienced tremendous amounts of like, uh, anxiety may not be the right word, but I was very hyper aware of what was going around on around me. And I was a little bit like self-conscious mm. looking a certain way. And I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure how long that phase for me lasted, probably about a year where I was like, just still trying to feel around, but I could put on this like bravado macho type, you know, yeah, I know what I'm doing thing. More like the guy that hangs out on the side and talks about what's going on more so than being the guy that's like actually doing that thing. How long did that phase, how long did that phase of just being generally uncomfortable in a gym last for you? I think it was like a year to two years. Um, and it's actually interesting you, you mentioned the self-conscious thing because I remember also thinking and staying away from the professional gyms for a long time because I had it in my head uh, that you needed to already be fit to go to a gym. <laughs> like you need, to, you need to be a certain uh, fat percentage before you can actually go into a gym, which is crazy because you go to a gym to work out or do whatever your fitness goals are but I just had it in my mind because uh, actually kind of similar to sports, right? Like I didn't think that I could do sports 
unless or like even attempt to do any kind of sports unless I was already at a certain level so that just Mm. that kind of intimidation kept me so far away from everything it didn't even I didn't even try Mm. which was the bad part so Mm -hmm. that intimidation factor I like really tiptoed in and then I finally realized like dude what are you talking about you just everyone is like either figuring it out or if they're experienced they're just doing their thing but that took like yeah about one to two years to really get it through my head like yeah, you can try. You can try. You can try. You walk in you and instead, <laughs> it, there, it's like a the the gyms were like a roller coaster. It was like BMI or or body fat percentage. <laughs> yeah. it's like you two, must be this BMI yeah. to ride. Yeah, to ride. That's exactly <laughs> what it felt like. Because yeah. you know, like the people who seemed really confident in the gym, they were the ones who looked already like super jacked. Because right, they had been there a lot, and yeah. I was like. What yeah. do I do? <laughs> Man. And the other thing that you said that's interesting to me that I've actually given thought to, like I grew up playing baseball. So my dad yeah. played baseball. So we grew up, you know, I, I'd play catch. I'd, I'd, I'd play with in the neighborhood with my friends. But, you know, as soon as I was 10 years old, it was like competitive baseball. And yeah. over the years, whether it was, say, the atmosphere that I was in or the, uh, I guess, like, in innate sense that I had about being base about being a baseball player as a competitor, it was almost like if you weren't going to compete, then why play at all? And it's yeah. only it's only lately that I've been like, man, that's really robbing either myself of a tremendous amount of joy of playing other sports, or so many other people of just the joy of playing a game. Yeah, I totally agree. It's yeah. like, and I don't even was it, I never even thought about joining like local uh, teams, like. Because I was like, I'm still like kind of intimidating, like, oh, they're going to expect a certain level if they're like looking to compete. But now I'm like, oh, there's amateur leagues out there. People who literally put amateur in the title. And I'm like, yes, that thing. Let me go to that thing and yeah. try it out. What's well, like this? I mean, I feel the same way about uh, going into a dance studio. It's like, uh, well, if I, don't know, if I don't have enough prerequisite <laughs> amount of dance skill, yes. I shouldn't go to this class. Um, and I've only have I ever been to a dance class? I think I've only been to like one dance class proper. I have witnessed a few dance classes. That's right. <laughs> experience. There's a video uh, of you out there. There is. And that apparently, you guys should check out. <laughs> yeah, it, it blew up. Uh, how, I'm going to give her a shout out. Um, at, at T, the T Goods experience, Hallie and Grace have been um, like clients or patrons in her class. And there was a bring your boo experience, I think for Valentine's day. And so Hallie had been like building up this really sexy dance for the build your boo experience. And uh, they asked to come. And of course, like they got all their film crew and they're like, going to turn this into some really awesome content. And it didn't just turn into like some awesome content. And we were, Hallie and I were very prominently featured and we were the only Caucasian people in the video. So it, 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 it stood out just a little bit more and that video ended up becoming like a really huge sensation on the internet. And so oh. I imagine if you look it up, the T goods experience, it'll be one of her most viewed, uh, one of her most viewed videos. I think it had like, yeah. Do you know how many it's up to? No, but I'm so curious now. I just remember the comments in there. They were like, Oh my God, that couple is so cute. Yeah. Like, that's why your boo should look at you. <laughs> yeah, I did. I was giving, I was like, I love this woman, this goddess. Yeah. Because <laughs> you were the only one that, like, one of the only guys that actually wasn't trying to be hard and, like, act like you didn't care. Which, by the way, yeah. like, if a girl's dancing sexy up on you, acting hard is, like, not... <laughs> 
Stoicism is not the best look Thank when you're you. receiving romantic gestures. No, stoicism is not is not the right view. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely relate to this whole like I'm not good enough to show up and meet the entry criteria. And even as a coach, like or as a gym owner, I've thought like, well, well you know, like why don't people why do people feel like they have to be super fit before they come in? That doesn't make any sense yet like all you have to do is throw me into a new environment and I'm like, uh, I'm not good enough to even go to the basic class. Don't take me to a salsa event. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Ooh, I know <laughs> when, uh, when lockdown is over, I, 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 I'm committing to a salsa night with you, Hallie and our friends, Jesse and Maisha. It's got, it's got to go down. You know, okay, I would be so excited. Count it. it, it we're here uh, and it is official. Um, okay. So, you know, uh, now that we've sufficiently um, gone down a tangent, I'm going to bring it back to your history. So you've spent about two years. The point I wanted to make earlier was that this experience of feeling awkward in a gym is not, not unusual to you. It's not unusual to coaches. Everybody, not everybody, most people are going to have this like trial by fire. I'm a complete novice and unknown. And I walk in and I eventually step off the step into the experience. Where were you in your life before we go past the feeling of a novice? Where were you in your life and in your health that was like, you know what? I'm going to go to a gym. I'm going to like go to a gym. Let's see. The it wasn't actually too healthy. It was in college when I was at actually I think my thinnest um, as an adult, and I was still trying to reach like middle school weight. I was definitely in the college uh, like mindset. Well, I shouldn't even say college mindset. I was just in a very like female mindset of like I need to lose weight. I need to be this super tiny thing. And uh, was it my ethnicity is Korean, and I was really into K-pop at the time. And it's just, you know, growing up, there's a lot of influence to be the tiniest, meekest, cutest little girl ever. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't ever live up to those standards. And it was like, okay, got to go to the gym, got to run on the treadmill, like, you know, five miles a day and, you know, try to lose as much weight as possible and like eat like nothing. Mm. Except the problem is I love eating. So that mm -hmm. definitely didn't work out. It's a really tough so challenge. It is never, that's just never going to be a thing. Thank God. Mm -hmm. um, so those were my first forays. Those were the first reasons I went into a gym. Um, and then, you know, later on, uh, I went through like a very intense, like weight gain after like a huge bout of depression and things like that. And, you know, that was also another push to go like, okay, there is something like psychologically and physically out of control. Like something's not right. You just know when your body's like, there's something not good here. Mm -hmm. Like the reasons I'm doing these things aren't motivated from a good place. Yeah. So it's like, okay, cool. Let's actually take this. That's when I actually said, let's take this seriously. Let's not just bullshit it and like try all the Pinterest tips that I see and just look at it on surface level. Let's actually go deeper yeah. and try to understand what's happening in your body and stuff. So I would say there's like two evolution points hmm. that I would look back first on. One, the first one's just making the decision to do it. And the second one is to decide that you're going to empower yourself with knowledge of the subject. Yeah. First one was very surface level. Second, second level was let's go deeper. Let's so go far, deeper. so far you, you and I are right on track. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thing. Yeah, same thing, because it was like, first was just going because I felt that I, I just assumed that I needed to go. I was taking martial arts. I was an athlete. Like, I, I should be going to the gym. Um, 
and then in the self exploration, it was like, for me, it was magazine articles because I didn't like the internet wasn't populated full of time. You know, at least I didn't know how to access or find blogs that were offering good training information. It was usually like stuff out of mess muscle and fitness magazine, um, do this, you know, three day split or five day split for the next eight weeks and just repeat as needed. And of course you'll just always get bigger and better. And then of course I didn't just get bigger and better. And in fact, I didn't, you know, I, I was making progress sheer by beginner's luck. And then it was just like, I enjoyed it though. It was tough. And I, and it felt like a, a strategy problem. And then I was like, Oh, it's just like tactics and tools. Okay. Like, well, I know how to get better at something, you know, baseball, or I know how to pursue a skill. I was a bowler too. another, like very skill oriented sport. You know, it's like repetition is the key. So I was like, all right, we'll just get more reps at this. And then it was the decision to empower myself with more knowledge to take a step deeper. You meet a couple of influence or influential people in your life. You know, even if it's just one person that says, here's just like a little peek through the window and you go, Oh wow, there's like all this stuff I could be learning over there. And I just decided from that point that I was going to go forward. And so you decide you're going to empower yourself. You're going to learn more about it. What was the step that you took? Actually, uh, thinking about this, I'm also going to add in another point. Uh, there's a very physiolo physiological reason that I was able to get in deeper. Um, the surface level stuff when I was just doing workouts for looks and just following, you know, like basic articles and tips. Um, I never enjoyed working out on those. I, you know, people talk about like the runner's high or like the exercise, uh, good feel like endorphins and stuff. Mm -hmm. I didn't actually access that till the, the weightlifting started. And that's also the let's go deeper moment. Mm -hmm. So I would, I would point out, it's like, <laughs> if you can find the thing that gives you that endorphin rush, whether it's running, weightlifting, whatever, that definitely helps to make this stuff addictive. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that I would say helped me build, start building the habit. I forget if that, what your original question was. Cause I was just thinking about, Oh yeah. Habit yeah. building. <laughs> the next step, the next step after interest, you know, after like the make, not after interest, after the decision to go deeper, the trigger for you to go deeper, it sounds like was like getting that feeling that, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that felt good. And I was like, Oh, this can be a thing. Yeah. Uh, so it actually kind of worked in like those things kind of had to work together. Right. Like I wasn't going to be, even though I'd made, I had actually tried to make that same decision before, right? Like even mm. at that surface level point, I wanted to be able to work out regularly. Mm. Um, but it wasn't until I got the endorphin rush and I was like, Ooh, I kind of like this thing. And then, uh, the second decision to make after that was, Hey, you can't half-ass this. You have to full-ass this and you have to really incorporate it and understand that this is going to be a part of your lifestyle. Cause mm. I was always like trying to like stuff in, like an hour workout at the end of my day as just sort of like the side note. Um, <clears throat> and sometimes I still do that, but I think of myself now as a person with a very active lifestyle mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I'm really open to, you know, taking trips that are like, you know, purely for hiking or something like that or bike riding. And I having the lifestyle change really opened the door to bring more fitness into my life. Mm, and you're hitting on a good point. And one that we hammer home all the time at recess is that being fit doesn't mean just working out and doing exercise. I mean, there are things that create a tremendous amount of health and vitality in yourself. And that is improving your health 
all around. And like you said, it could be hiking, it could be bike rides, it could be frolicking in the sun with your friends, doing hula hoop, dancing or whatever. So there's so many, I think one thing in the evolution process is our minds start to open up as to what qualifies as exercise or what qualifies as to working out and what is actually driving us towards where we want to go and the things that we think are taking us where we want to go, but are actually hindering our progress towards those things. Um, and I, I'm imagining from your perspective, because just because we're sharing a similar trajectory, it's that there's a lot of trial and error at first. And it's the, because you aren't doing it well, you don't see what you need from it. And you just Mm kind of keep like bumping up against this edge because you're like, yeah, but I got to follow the, what did you say? Uh, what Pinterest, Pinterest, I got to follow this Pinterest thing, you know, Mm -hmm. or I have to follow this, uh, bodybuilding thing. Cause I want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. God damn it. You know, I want to look look like like Arnold. (laughs) So I have to do Arnold presses exactly like he said in the magazine, you know, I can't, try handstands out in a field to get, you know what I mean? I can't, mm-hmm. uh, I can't like, again, just go chase a dog or something silly. But now in the evolution process, you're like, Oh, I'm not just exercising. I'm starting to identify as being a fit person. And a fit person is more than just like biceps and quads and glutes. It's like, I want to be able to go on a hike that is multiple weeks long and not have my body just, you know, break down halfway through. (laughs) Um, So you have, I'm I'm trying to keep the story like nosing towards where we intersect. Um, Were you living in Memphis when you started weightlifting? No, it was actually a little bit before Memphis. I think uh, I really only started identifying that as a thing I really, really liked um, about six months, three months before I moved to Memphis. And, and so you were moving to, you moved to Memphis from Los Angeles or the LA area. Yes. Yeah. But I, but the funny part was uh, the weekend before I moved out to Memphis, I broke my ankle and that really just screwed it, screwed everything mm. up physicality for a long time. Mm-hmm. So Cause it was also break. my first, first broken bone. So I didn't know exactly what I was doing. Plus I was moving like crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also think it's worth noting that when things like that happen, one, you break an ankle or you move or <laughs> both. Those are times where like exercise progress, we can want to try to force habits or force results, I mean, and it's just kind of like not in the cards. And so um, a lot of times we can be put a lot of pressure on ourselves to keep things going when it's a little unfair to ourselves. So you break your ankle, you move to Memphis, Tennessee for some, for, a, for work. And uh, you have to, you're sitting, you're on the shelf, as they say, for a couple of months because mm-hmm. you are, um, yeah, healing from an injury. And then you start a gym search. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was looking for something, I have several criteria. I need, I want one gym where I can just kind of go and use the machines, lift weights and like not talk to anyone. So like, you know, your 24 hour fitnesses, your LA fitness, that kind of thing. That's like my basic go-to foundation. But like we talked about, it's like when you start kind of exploring into things, uh, and you start finding out what you like, I really liked 
obstacle course racing. Not that I had done like an actual full one, like Spartan races. I just remember I like obstacles. So uh, I started looking, I started Googling obstacle course race and recess was the na- one of the names that popped up and actually had like a site to it. Everything else became like dead links or like the phone number was like not connecting anywhere. It was so strange. So I was like, okay, cool. Let's check out recess. And I don't, I forget if I sent an email or something or whatever. I just remember we like made an appointment somehow and I uh, came to recess to check it out. Yeah. What, uh, before you walked in, did you have any imagination of what you were walking into? And then after, yeah. yeah, And then afterwards, like what had changed? I had no expectations uh, because I was definitely in that, self-conscious uh mode i was just sort of like okay cool i've never been to like such a personal gym like this before i really hope that it's not super awkward and uh walked in sorry what was the second question what, what yeah when you, afterwards yeah exactly after seeing the facility after meeting us it was it was really nice you guys were really sweet i remember this and uh i forget if it was that first day that you uh that you and i talked about you going to korea yeah. Yeah. Was that it? I just remember thinking like, what? Yeah. That definitely made an, it definitely made an impression that you were like, are you Korean? And it didn't go the usual way that conversation goes. It was like, I studied in Korea. And I was like, you're kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was <laughs> tactically an advantage. And, I, and, I, and not on what? Part, Look at that. I, I am <laughs> actually that. wearing my Yonsei sweater. It was not intentional. I noticed it before we started. I said, oh, it's just, uh, but yeah, uh, it's hard to be, and this is like, this is, this is the fun part of the podcast. Okay. Like I didn't realize how much moving to Korea would impact me. I went out of curiosity for sure. And out of circumstances, I graduated college in the worst semester to graduate in the history of graduating from university in the modern era. I had taken an internship while I was in school. It was a full-time work experience internship that lasted six months with FedEx in their internal audit department. And this was in the fall of 2007. And the thought behind this was this experience is, no, fall of, yeah, fall 2007. This experience is going to basically guarantee me a job. That was the, because 10 to 12 people got it. There were thousands of applicants and me landing this internship was a big deal. And I remember thinking, this is like, you can just write my check to my, my job after graduation. You know what I mean? It was like, because the narrative at the time was you go to college, you get a degree and then you go to work in your field and, and like you get a job in your field. And like, that's how it works. That's the narrative. That's the process. And like, that's what I had no reason to doubt. Then you throw on top of the internship. I'm like, that's icing on, you know, it's a cherry on top. Like I'm definitely getting a job. But the trade-off was that I had to push my graduation back one semester. Because even though I did, I received school credit for the internship, it still didn't cover all my course requirements, especially as you're getting towards your capstone classes and all those things. So it was like, all right, well, you'll just graduate in the winter of 2008. I finished. They allowed me to take my spring semester. They allowed me to graduate with my classmates. They gave me special permission to graduate before I completed it. So I wanted to walk with all the people that I came in with. And then I studied in the summer and I had literally like three more classes. It was nine hours of school left in the fall of 2008. And my roommate and I, at the time, it was October and we were watching every day the housing bubble happen. 
And so the housing bubble had all these trigger effects on the credit with, with credit default swaps and everybody going deli up on all these basically like bets that they had made that these um, mortgages wouldn't default. And then there's like a huge hiring freeze. So all of a sudden I went from being guaranteed a job to like, there are literally no jobs, like no, no job. People getting laid off by the tens of thousands. And then there were people with 10 years work experience applying for unpaid internships at companies just to be around when they started hiring again. Because it was like, you know, well, hey, I might have some cash reserves because I've been, in, I've been working for 10 years, but I don't have a job and they're only people that are hiring or offering work are not paying. I just want to be around when the hiring and the money starts flowing again. And so now what I thought was a guaranteed thing with graduating with this internship, I'm walking, walking myself into a job. I'm like competing against 10 years experience. I thought my six months was going to be the guarantee. So my, one of my best friends in college, um, the, the elusive, um, what do you call him? The unicorn, Sam, my friend. And, oh my and he, God. He doesn't, exist, unicorn friend. Way, he doesn't exist. He doesn't exist. He does. And he doesn't, you know, it's a complicated thing, It's not real. but he gives me this idea that he, that we are travel buddies. He gives me the idea that I should teach English in Korea. He was like, you can pay back any school debt you have. You can travel in Asia. And that's so amazing. And you can experience a new culture. And when all this blows over, like you can come back into the job market. And I was like, that sounds like a brilliant idea. And so I moved there. Um, in me, I moved there. I was there in less than 90 days. Now here's where I I'm starting. I'm, I'm, I'm revisiting where I started, which was, I didn't realize how much that would impact me. I lived in a suburb of the, of the, of Seoul and in my neighborhood, besides a few other of the teachers that were like located in the same geographical area, like mm -hmm. I was the only Caucasian and definitely the only American in my neighborhood. And so for the first time in my life, uh, the, it was like flipped where like, I wasn't just, um, I mean, that's one thing to be like a minority in a room or in a school. It's another to be in a, a minority in a city, like a tiny minuscule minority and to try to understand cultural norms from the flipped perspective. And so I, I aspired to buy in all of the way and decided I want to go to graduate school. And once I got into like this multicultural experience, it wasn't just Korea. Now it was like we had represented over like 20 countries in less than 50 people. You know, it was like every other person was from this new country. And I imagine if growing up in LA, like you have a much different experience than growing up in Memphis, Tennessee. And so it was just good for me to, have this depth of understanding about a culture that wasn't my own because it gave me so much clarity and, <laughs> and ways to reconfigure my own growing up in my own uh, culture. And so the funny thing is, is that when you spend so much time in a country and in a culture that is geared towards seeing the subtle because a lot of people, the thing that a lot of people don't understand is, especially in, in Asian cultures, is that you don't just outwardly blurt things. You don't just say things. Like you say things without saying them. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that happen in language that are implied. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Kind of. Yeah. There's like a, there's a definitely a polite, uh, 
a polite connotation, although what is considered polite and rude is a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. Well, I imagine in fam in family so in family circles, it's also going to be different. Yeah, you're oh. likely to be you're going to be yeah. way more direct and blunt with your family members. But like when you're with not strangers, but community members, it was like one of my best examples is that when we were out in business school, uh, the the we would go on like Hueshik. Hueshik was like business gathering after class. So I got introduced to this Hueshik culture, and basically. <laughs> I learned that some the the oldest person wouldn't just say like I want to tonight I want everyone to go to Galbi or Korean barbecue spot and I want to eat together. They don't just say hey I want to eat together let's go out to eat. They'll just kind of stare off into space and say I've been really thinking about barbecue today. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then, of course, if you're next down in line, you have to be like, oh, we should get everybody together to go eat. That shit drives me nuts. <laughs> I'm like, can you be assertive and, like, ask people? No, no. They, they always got to be, like, coy. That's yes. They got to be coy. And then yes. you like, oh, well, let's go do this thing then. And they're like, oh, okay. Yes. Like, and <laughs> you're so, supposed to be the leader. <laughs> I know. And that's the thing. It's like it was, it was knowing how to recognize the subtle and mm. it with even with again like no surprise to someone who grew up ethnically korean um there's just so much subtlety in even ethnicity beyond just language and culture there's subtleties and physical features there's subtleties and style like the way that people dress the cultural influences like so yes. if you grew up watching k-pop and, and and like a style of dress in k-pop much different than you grew up like worshiping anime you know, like the, just the way people are going to show up, the things that they're in, there's so much, so much different. So we're going to loop this all the way back. I meet Grace Lee for the first time. And it's just like, I just know that you're Korean. Like it just. It was shocking to meet someone who was one white and the fact that they knew more Korean than me. I was like, <laughs> and the fact that I met you in Tennessee of all yes. places. I didn't meet you in California, in Los yes. Angeles, where I would expect that a little bit. No, right. I moved to Memphis and one of the first people I really like get to know, I'm like, how yeah. do you know more Korean than how, I do? <laughs> what is this about? What's this guy? Okay. <laughs> and so I'm like, you're there. And I, I'm like, not wanting to just blurt out that, you know, it's like, you're Korean. I, I, I have all this. I just want to tell you, like, let's just have this shared connection. And He's I appreciate like, that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, don't be that person, man. Just like play it cool. And then, but I don't know what was exactly happening, but it was like, it was just before our interaction was about to end for the day. You know, like you've come in, you've checked it out. I, I, I've shown you around. We've, we've had some conversation about your history, your goals, what you're looking to get out of it. And then I just like, kind of like, you're Korean, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. And so, I, yeah, I imagine that like that, that shared connection is something that influenced your decision to continue to investigate becoming a member of our community. But yeah. I don't, I don't imagine that our shared Korean connection alone would have been enough no. to, to keep you invested in our community. So if you could, could you speak a little bit from your experience about what the community that you walked into and uh, what are the things that have kept you involved and invested? Um, I would say the, the knowledge that you guys have and you guys share um, the kind of openness to explore oneself and uh, pursue our own um, ideas 
was something that was incredibly unique because I'm, I'm not a group uh, exercise person at all. I don't, you know, I've tried out for sports teams and things like that. And I still, you know, I'm kind of a little bit iffy with that. I'm very individualistic. Um, so this was <clears throat> a really unique experience in where I actually enjoyed being around a group of people for classes and things like that. Um, and again, like in those classes, you guys kind of create the expectation of like, we're going to do these things. However, if your body is saying something different, listen to it. And that was very refreshing. And it was, uh, oh, I know that you guys also, you and Hallie both really care about mindfulness and, uh, we get to talk about those things and explore those things a lot. So kind of the intersection between like mindfulness and physicality really helps. Sorry, the dog's behind me. Um, not that you can see her. Yeah. Uh, running into the fire. <laughs> she's a hellhound. Um, so I think that value for me was huge. Also, you guys are just really, you guys know what you're doing. So anytime I have questions about like an actual, like, Hey, how do I squat this thing? How do I deadlift yeah. this thing? You guys have like actual, like, you guys are like, Oh yeah, you do A, B, C, D, E. And I'm like, I've been trying to figure that out for like a year. <laughs> and, and part of it is letting you figure it out until you're like at right. the edge of your knowledge uh, and, and getting you to instead of, so the phases of coaching may be similar to phases of, uh, of anything really. Like you might be able to speak to this as your experience in a user, user designer perspective, like stage one is technical. You know, you're like just trying to understand how the things work. You know, what are the, what are the, what are the pieces to this? How do they function? How do they interplay with each other? And, and, you know, you think about it like the system. So when I first got introduced to training or not first introduced, as I matured in my training, I, you know, part of the evolution was thinking about the body as a system and not just as a sum of different components that were individual components. And then once I started thinking about the body as a mechanical system, it was just, it was an easy next step to think about the body you know, in a holistic system beyond just the physical side. And one of the things that we aspire to imbue on other people is that the more you start to think about your self as a whole system, not a separate physical, separate mental, separate emotional, and separate spirit system, when you think about them in a whole, it offers clarity in progress because if you happen to be strong in another area, you can take the same principles and techniques that make you strong emotionally or spiritually, and you can laterally shift those principles into something that makes you strong physically or mentally. And um, being able to help people think systematically. And then the second thing is that um, not at, as a coach, I went through a phase where I wanted to get wanted to cram all of your all of the knowledge into your mind you know but i realized that my learning came through the experience of having done it not from being told exactly what it is what i should expect and so um i have always and you've been great at i imagine it's a mutual thing us holding the space for it but you being willing to be assertive and ask for knowledge that you want you know not just like oh what are what am what are you going to tell me today coach it's like mm -hmm. no i'm here to because i'm i'm on a path of learning and i believe and trust that as a resource from a knowledge perspective and just as a guide at, uh, from an experience perspective that we're going to be there to support you what would you say has well one like and i imagine that you know you probably had a 
passion towards mental health before, you know, this isn't just something that might be new. Um, but can you walk me through the things that you've been exposed to from like a technical perspective, uh, the methods that you've learned with us and the ones that you have really loved and the ones that you've liked that you didn't expect to like? Ooh, interesting. Specifically around the mindfulness aspect or just things in general? Methods that we've taught in general. And I mean, in this case, I'm, I'm thinking more physical. Um, let's see. Well, one of the things that I didn't expect to like, but I do really like is the uh, animal movement stuff. Hmm. Um, kind of in, in uh, kind of, so the animal movement was sort of like an introduction to me to uh, move my body in ways that I don't normally move it. So to me, that was a big uh, shift for myself and a big, uh, some, uh, something to definitely explore and add into my uh, regiment. Like I love to warm up with movements now because it's so you know it it uses so many different muscles and things of your body and really helps you kind of figure out like oh wow that's really stiff today and things like that mm -hmm. uh breathing the breathing stuff is uh i forget if that specifically was the thing i was most resistant to or if it was the meditation thing i think you remember this like i was like no i don't want to do that thing was it breathing or was it meditation well it was like i think when we laid them over the top of each other Okay. Then I was like, yeah. no, no, yeah. I don't want to be, don't make me sit for like three minutes and I'm like, do nothing. I was like, I hate that so much. Um, but both of those have been really, uh, extremely important. And, uh, breathing now is one of the, uh, most important aspects of my physical health that I can think of. Um, especially cause after my flu this past winter, I seem to have asthma now, which mm -hmm. I think is crazy that I developed asthma after a flu. I'm not sure what that's about. But anyways, what I think is interesting is uh, with all the explorations of breathing we've been doing, um, you know, I've tried like the deep breath stuff, but I've also tried the Wim Hof stuff that we've hit upon and actually doing some research, not quoting anything. I'm not a doctor. Anyone who's listening yep. to this. Yeah. This is just, <laughs> but, this uh, is just for educational and, and, and uh, yeah. entertainment purposes. Yeah. They're, uh, they mentioned that instead of trying to get more oxygen into your body, the fact that your muscles are the reason you have asthma is like your muscles are super constricted in your lungs and there's not enough air going through. Uh, they talked about one potential way to help that through, you know, your own practice and not necessarily through uh, medicine is to get more carbon dioxide in your body actually, mm. right? The stuff that you're breathing out. And I remember in the Wim Hof methods and things like that, th through those breathing exercises, you're actually um, oxidizing your blood or something like that. It's yes. you're keeping in things. So you're not, it's not about, uh, no, I'm not going to misquote this. It's just, I remember there's something specifically about, you know, you hold your breath after um, like 30 intense breaths, you know, mm -hmm. and you hold it for maybe like a minute, two minutes, and your body chemistry is changing a little bit. Yes. Um, so still exploring that, but I think it's really interesting. And so far it actually kind of has helped me a little bit. I have to explore it more. So breathing has been a very interesting, uh, like the methodologies you guys have taught, the ones that we've explored together with Wim Hof, um, that's been a big change. So animal movement, breathing, meditation, I'm still kind of, kind of going into, but that one, 
I was the most resistant to, but I've definitely come around. I've had a conversation. So I think one uh, challenge about meditation is that we get wrapped up in this idea of what meditation has to be. And for a long time, it was like, I believe that meditation was sitting cross-legged and closing my eyes and only, and, 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 and breathing and not having thoughts. And that idea, the idea of that just like turned me off so much. Like nothing about that compelled me for so long. It was (laughs) like, yeah, it was like, I don't, I, one, it's uncomfortable to cross my legs and to sit for a long period of time Two, I like, you think this shit's going to turn off. You think this (laughs) mind is going to stop having thoughts, like get real. And then it was like, this is not, it doesn't seem to have any utility because I was a very like performance minded person. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I learned that meditation is doing nothing, essentially. The act of choosing to do nothing or to narrow the scope of what you're doing down. So I've thought of a great introduction um, that is, I believe in changing habits to rituals. I, I find that to be very powerful. Habits are things we do mindlessly. Rituals are things that we do on purpose. It's a set of behaviors that is done intentionally. Interesting. Yeah. So you have habits like chewing my fingernails is a habit. It's a mindless activity. Um, but, but, and, and ha- drinking coffee can be a habit. You know, I, I like, it's just on and I'm just like pouring it as I walk by, but the only thing, the only thing I need to do to change a habit of drinking coffee to a ritual, something that it, it uh, feeds me instead of takes away is put intention behind it. And so for me, creating a French press coffee became an active form of meditation because I was choosing to narrow the scope of my activity and of my focus down. And the way that I did that was making coffee, French press a five cents experience. I made sure to feel the warmth of the glass or to feel the steam on my face or to smell it at each individual stage, um, to listen to the crackle of the beans as the water touched it for the first time, measuring things intentively, getting the water temperature just right. That itself became a meditation. I'm moving, I'm doing things, but I'm, I'm really honed in and focused. And then once I've done that, the, the, to finish my meditation, I will hold my cup. And then I've, over time, as my mobility's gotten better and things, I've, I've started assuming sitting positions. I'm much more, five years in Asia, sitting on the floor will (laughs) really help. I mean, just being real, my mobility got so much better and it had very little to do with exercise. My mobility got better because of the actions and activities that I was doing and sitting on the floor just by default. So I'm, I'm much more comfortable, but my meditation has become my, my coffee has become my meditation. Yeah. You know? Because I completely agree with you. I think the, the, the biggest resistance I had to that was exactly what you said, which was that you had to think nothing like that. Everything had to shut off because when everyone talks about meditation, that's what they say. That's like the big trendy thing. Like you just don't think about anything, but that's not necessarily true. Um, and, in, and I would definitely encourage anyone that if you're approaching meditation for the first time, Hey, if you can get to a state of nothing, that's amazing. But yeah. and, and maybe that's for you. But for yeah. other people, it's not necessarily about feeling nothing. It's about being incredibly present. Mm-hmm. And like you said, with the French press stuff, everything just sort of becomes heightened in that moment. Um, what's funny is some people kind of experience that through uh, drugs um, mm-hmm. or through other like 
super sensory sensations, uh, sexual experiences when you're like in that state. I know other, you know, you can be like very aware of what's happening. So all these things might have already hinted to you what that feels like. But mm. yeah, do, like you said, doing it with ritual, with intention, and actually being able to start tapping into that kind of present mindedness is very, is incredible. Well, um, I, I found, I find that exercise is a perfect vessel yes. for teaching people this, you know, it's like, because it, there's immediate feedback when you sit down and you do some like, and you just sit down and for three minutes with your eyes closed, there's very little feedback. In fact, there's a lot of like stuff that's bouncing around in your brain. Mm -hmm. So physicality is a way of tapping into, into that thing. One mm -hmm. thing I will say is that once you know that it's there, people then start to hit the button a lot. <laughs> yes. yeah, they go, Oh, I have to keep pursuing this avenue to get to this space. And what I encourage people to do is find it, use physical practices are beautiful at finding this state of meditation, of flow, and there are other ways to get there. So if you know the way this way, you know the way there, you can find other activities to work yourself to the same place. And coffee yeah. is one of them for me. Physical practices, that makes, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, the breathing, the Wim Hof thing was definitely, definitely brings you right into that present. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you got that right. I mean, now, before, we first of all, this has been an awesome conversation. I don't want to just well, Wow, it's almost over. Yeah. <laughs> I, been on, I want to ask, I've asked everybody that comes on the show, um, mm -hmm. what do you, we've talked about some serious stuff, we've talked about some fun stuff, but I want to think about, what you do activity wise for like true joy and fun can be physical. doesn't have to be. How do you like to play? How, what, what do you like to do to have fun? <laughs> dancing. <laughs> Very silly. Dancing yeah. is a key part. And okay. This is going to sound, I know it doesn't have to be physical, but I swear to God, throwing around weights is definitely hits that little Napoleon complex inside. That's just like, eh, uh. mm -hmm. So silly dancing, uh, throwing around weights uh, are two of the most consistent things that I can do for fun um, that really hit those points for me. Uh, they're even on what I call like a wins list. So it's like if I ever need like a pick me up, I can do those things and they'll be sure to like give me that little endorphin rush that will kind of like set me straight. Mm, awesome. Um now, before we close, if uh, somebody has connected with your story, if somebody has connected with um, your connected with you either from a personal perspective, a professional perspective, could you tell people where they might be able to find you if you're open? Sure. Uh, so I have an Instagram account. I have two that you can reach me at. One is called aka dot moxie, spelled M O X I E. The other one that's probably going to be a little easy to remember and is my physical blog is uh, NoodleBod. Yes. Because this body is made of noodles. Got to. <laughs> it is, especially during furlough time. So yeah. many ramen noodles. I'm like 50% ramen noodles right now. Yeah. And I guess uh, last question is if, uh, if somebody was considering um, working with us, if somebody was considering just looking more into us, uh, what advice would you give them and what encouragement would you give them? I would advise them to talk to you guys because I think that 
you know, websites and uh, like emails are great for a lot of companies, but for you guys, the truest experience is when I can actually talk to you guys mm. and interact. Uh, sorry, what was the second question? It was how, how should they reach out and then what? What, uh, that was the advice. And then, uh, yeah, the other was, what did I just say? I don't know. <laughs> encourage, Enc uh, whether it's to reach out with us or not, where would you encourage, what would you say to encourage the person that uh, frankly is, in the where you started is nervous about feeling like they're not fit enough to get involved in a gym or a, a gym community feeling like they're unsure and not sure what to do what what would you do to encourage that person definitely find your fun it's you definitely gotta break away from worrying about how anyone else thinks about you because that like we talked about the self-conscious thing was huge it's about finding your fun awesome Thank you very much. Grace Lee, everybody. Miss Noodlebot, a.k.a. Dot Moxie. Thank you for coming on. I had a blast. And uh, I imagine whoever followed us all the way is going to get a lot out of this podcast. Oh, That's it for you. this week. Um, we will catch up with you next time. Thank you, Grace. Bye, Brooks. Thanks for checking out another serious, fun conversation. I just wanted to remind you that this show is brought to you by you. If you'd like to support the show, you can rate us five stars, you can leave a kind comment, or you can share it with a friend. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel at Brooks Meadows on the YouTube. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time.